today we begin a new sermon series based on the book of 1 Peter. And uh, it's a sermon series designed to help those who are going through difficult times. How many of you know somebody who's going through a difficult time? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are that person? <laughs> okay. Of course. This is God's word for the hurting. It's a message of grace and hope and strength. How can I stand strong when everything around me is crumbling? How can I hold fast to my faith when it seems like the whole world has gone out of its mind. How can I be strong when the culture is plunging headlong into darkness? How can I continue to have joy and peace in the midst of suffering? I'd like to welcome the people who have joined us by way of the internet. Thank you for being part of the sermon series and for listening in and studying God's Word with us. You can download the listening guide right there and follow along with us as we study God's Word. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles. We'll make some observations about this great book here in just a few minutes, and and then we'll see what Peter has to say to us about going through difficult times. Here we go. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. How many of you know that all of us are pilgrims? We're, we're just a passing through, right? This world is not my home, and I'm on my way someplace else. Uh, so we're pilgrims, but these pilgrims were people who were uh, scattered all over the world because of extreme persecution of Christians. Pilgrims of the dispersion, that is, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, people were being persecuted because they turned to Jesus Christ in faith. They were being persecuted. In fact, even in our own country, you can be persecuted for turning to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but these people were primarily Jews, but also Gentiles, who were under great persecution uh, from the Roman government and from the Jewish leadership that was in Jerusalem. So to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of those areas are what we would call today modern Turkey, Asia Minor. Elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I'm going to talk about that. So what I'd like for you to do in your Bibles, if you mark words like I do, mark the word elect or chosen, whichever your translation, 
mark the word foreknowledge, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, mark the word sanctification, for obedience, mark the word obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, mark the word sprinkling. We're going to talk about all those words today. Grace and peace be multiplied. Well, this short uh, couple of verses introduced the book of First Peter to us. And we know that this particular letter was written to believers who were scattered throughout the world. They were being persecuted and scorned, made fun of because of their faith in Christ. Some of them betrayed, rejected, and even put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we live in a day where people really are being put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter wrote the letter during the time of Nero's persecution of the church. Nero was the emperor in Rome. The purpose of 1 Peter was to encourage believers to rely on the sufficient grace of God to get them through. Now you have to realize that a lot of these people were displaced from their homes. You know, they didn't have a place that they could really call home anymore. They were displaced from the society, and many of them lost their jobs, lost their income. Uh, many of them lost relationships with family members due to the fact that they had received Christ as their Savior. It cost them to follow Jesus. And they were being persecuted and rejected because they took a stand for Jesus Christ. Now, friends, listen. If you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you can expect opposition. Even in this country, take a stand for Jesus Christ and you'll be mocked and persecuted. Peter writes his letter specifically to people who were facing that kind of rejection. And we want to learn from him some things that will help us. Peter told his readers, he said, look, you're going to suffer, but view suffering as an opportunity to experience the grace of God and bring honor to Jesus Christ. So how can I remain strong in the face of suffering? We're going to learn some things from this text. And there's three things that we want to point out today from the Bible that will help us to face difficult days. Number one, chosen by God, security in suffering. You know, uh, all of us, when we're going through painful and difficult times, want to know that we're still secure. Um, somebody wants to find fear as forgetting everything and running. F, forgetting. E, everything. A, and are running. Fear, forgetting everything. 
So once we get into a situation where we're facing suffering, we sometimes forget the important things. Like, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I've been chosen by God. I belong to God. Abba, I am your child. We tend to forget that and kind of run away from whatever it is we're facing. Peter says, you need to remember this. You are chosen by God. Chosen by Him. Peter sets out to comfort and encourage these believers by reminding them that they're chosen. This word elect, it's an important word. Christians are God's elect. This is not by chance. It's not by human design. It's by God's choice of you. He picked you out to be saved. What does the term chosen mean? Well, it means to pick out or to select. So if we apply that, we could say this. God came over and said, David, I love you, and I want you to be my child. And he picked him out, put his finger on him, and then called him to be his child. And such is the case with every one of us who are believers. He picked us out, chosen. There was a time in biblical history when only the nation of Israel could say we are chosen. But now every child of God can be making that claim. I am chosen by God. Listen to the scriptures. And I think they're going to come up on the screen here for you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know what that means? That means before God ever created the world, he picked David out to be saved. Before he ever created anybody, he picked people out to be saved. He set his love upon them and said, I want to save you. Now listen, if God picked you out to be saved, will that help you to face suffering? Of course it will. To remember who you are. You are chosen by God for salvation. Continuing on, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. I have some important news to share with you. Everybody here this morning? He chose you. He picked you. He loves you. And he wants you to be saved. Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. Now Peter goes on to elaborate this term chosen in verse 2 and he says, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, foreknowledge is not talking about the fact that God knows what's going to happen ahead of time. Now listen carefully. 
God didn't pick David out because he knew David would respond to the gospel. That's not at all what foreknowledge is. Foreknowledge is that God in eternity said, I want a relationship with David Moorhead, and I'm going to call him to myself. I am setting my love upon him. I choose him to be mine. That's foreknowledge. It means to know in a relationship beforehand. It's really a wonderful testimony of God's sovereignty and working to call us to himself. Peter says, listen, you need to remember, God predetermined a relationship with you and you belong to him forever. His choice of you is not based on anything he finds in you. Is that not good news? I mean, he he didn't choose you because you were good looking. Amen. He didn't choose you because you were rich. Amen. He didn't choose you because you were educated. Amen. He didn't choose you because of your family name. Amen. He didn't choose you because of where you live. Amen. He chose you simply because he loves you. That's called foreknowledge. He loved you before you ever existed. What an amazing God. His choice of you is based solely on his love for you. Listen to Deuteronomy. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verses 6 through 8. Listen to what Scripture says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now listen. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people. For you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He didn't choose Israel because they were great. He didn't choose them because they were rich or educated. He chose them because he loved them. And he's chosen you and me. Because he loves us. So the very first thing we need to remember when we're going through suffering is God chose you. He picked you out before the foundation of the world. He loves you. You belong to him. Nothing is ever going to change that. So whatever you're facing today, here's something you can say with definite confidence. God chose me. I belong to him. He loves me. Nothing will ever change that. Now, friend, you can face a whole lot if you know that. I mean, if you really know it. So don't let fear take over, forgetting everything and running. How about facing everything and resting? Resting in his amazing love for each one of us. He chose us. 
His choice of you in Christ is the cause and the guarantee of our salvation. I can have great security in suffering because I've been chosen by God. Here's number two. This is the second thing Peter wanted his readers to know. Sanctified by the Spirit. This is comfort in suffering. The Holy Spirit is the one who puts God's choice into effect. Now God, before he ever created the world, chose you, but somebody had to bring that into effect. So here's what happened. God said in the eternity past, before he ever created the universe, he said, I see that red Allen. I love him. I'm going to save him. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to go after Red. And the Holy Spirit came after Red. Came right down the aisle, put his finger right on him and said, I'm going to save you today. And that's what he did. And then the Holy Spirit came to live within him. He made a change in Red's life. And he's been changing him ever since. Security is great. Comfort is wonderful. It's the Holy Spirit's work to convict us, to lead us to repentance, and even to give us the faith to believe. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Now, I have a couple of charts that I want to show you. And uh, this particular chart is the pre-salvation person. This is the person who's sitting there as a lost person. And you see that they have a body. You know, lost people have bodies. They walk around. They do things. You see that they have a soul, which means that they have a mind, they have emotions, and they have will. Lost people have all of those things. In fact, you could actually talk to a lost person. Did you know that? You can talk to them. You can laugh with them. You can go have fun with them. You can engage with them. Because you see, with your body, you are engaged with the world. Ah, people's heads turn when they hear something, right? I hear something, my body is reacting to the world in which I live. I see something. I'm reacting to the world in which I live. I have a body. But I also have a soul with which I interact. I can talk with you. I can laugh with you. I can enjoy time with you. That's my soul. I have a mind, so I think. I have a emotion, so I feel. And I have a will, so I make choices. And even lost people make choices, don't they? So I have that soul... But all three are involved. I have a body, a soul, and a spirit. The spirit here is dark because it's dead. A lost person is described in this way. They are dead in trespasses and sins. You can see the sins there have separated this person from God. They can't know God, can't talk to Him, can't know His love, can't experience His favor, cannot know his leadership, can't experience his power. They don't know God. They're separated and they're dead in their spirit. 
So they have no ability to respond. With my body, I respond to the world. With my soul, I respond to other people. But with my spirit, I respond to God. But my spirit is dead if I'm lost. So I can't respond to God. I can't hear Him. can't know and experience His love. So we're going to be talking about God, but I don't really know that. Because my spirit is dead. Here's the next chart. And this is what Peter's talking about. He says, look, when you got saved, the sins were put on the cross. Amen. And God Himself came to make me alive in my spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to regenerate you. To make you alive in your spirit. So now you can hear God. You can understand Him. You can follow Him. You can experience His love and His grace and His forgiveness. You can know all these things because your spirit is finally alive. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. Peter says it's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in you. And that's something that can help us when we're suffering. He says, you've been chosen by God. You belong to Him. But now, God actually lives inside of you. So you're not facing this suffering alone. The Lord Himself is with you. There's some scripture that's going to come up on the screen here. Titus 3.5. Listen to this. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So He actually quickened your spirit. He made you alive in your spirit. That's the regeneration that takes place and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You were renewed in your inward man. John 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He comes to live inside of you. If you're a child of God this morning, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. He made your spirit alive so that you could respond to God. When Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He was talking about a spiritually alive person. If you're a child of God, if you're saved this morning, if you claim to know Jesus, you are spiritually alive. You're able to hear and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he desires for you. And Peter says, look, there's an important truth you need to know. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen, I'm just going to quote this verse. He who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of its completion. That's what the Scripture says. He began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6. The moment you got saved, He started working in your life, and He's continuing that work. And no matter what you face, no matter how much heartache, no matter how many struggles you have, He is there with you, and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That is comfort in suffering. I don't have to face it alone. 
he's there with me. The effect of the Holy Spirit's work in us is to bring about obedience. The word obedience literally means to hear under. The idea is that there's a person who's under the authority of Jesus Christ who wants to hear what the Lord says to him, who wants to know the leadership of the Lord in his life. And so he is committed to obedience. Here's what a lot of people think about their relationship with God. God, if you'll tell me what you want me to do, I'll decide whether or not I want to do it. But that's not the way it works. Here's the way it works. You decide you're going to be obedient, and then he tells you what to do. You see, you make the decision first, and it's the Holy Spirit's job working in your life to give you a heart to obey God. So when you have a desire to obey the Lord, that came from the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When you have a desire to follow the Lord Jesus in your life, that came from the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The security of being chosen by God is followed by the comfort of knowing His presence. It's the Holy Spirit's job to conform you to the image of Christ and He will lead you in the path of obedience. Here's what God won't do. He will not help you continue to disobey Him. He'll help you do a lot of stuff. But if you're disobeying Him, He's not going to help you continue that. You can ask for his help all day long, and if you're being disobedient to him in your life, he's not going to help you. He will help you to come back to the place of obedience, and that's why you make that decision. Under the leadership of God's Spirit, you make the decision. Whatever he tells me, I'm going to obey him. I can have great comfort in suffering because I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Number three. Ready? Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Strength in suffering. This action that Peter writes about completes the early presentation of the doctrine of the Trinity. Listen to it. The Father chose us. The Spirit brought into effect the Father's choice. And now Jesus Christ makes it possible through his atoning death on the cross. Sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This reminds us of Exodus chapter 24. just want to read these verses. It's about Moses and the Old Covenant. Exodus 24, beginning in verse 4. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered, watch this, all the people answered with one voice, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. What is that? That's obedience. You see, they had already determined we will obey the Lord. Can I just say this to you this morning? You need to make up your mind who you're going to obey. And if the Lord says do something, you just say ahead of time, I will do it. I am going to obey the Lord. 
So Moses came, he gave them all the words of the Lord. Verse 4 says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and the twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he sent young men out of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings of the oxen to the Lord. All these sacrifices were shedding blood. And every last one of those sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was shed his who shed his blood on Calvary's cross. Every one of those sacrifices pointed to Jesus. And l- listen to this, verse 6. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And listen to this. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Before God could have a relationship, blood had to be shed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Before God could have a relationship with you, he had to pay the price for that relationship. He sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross to shed his blood. So you and I could be sprinkled with the blood and brought into relationship with God our Father. It's not possible apart from that. Only Jesus shed his blood for us. Blood was shed, and our lives were changed forever. This sprinkling of the blood reminds us of two things. First of all, Why in the world did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did he have to go there and shed his blood? Here's the reason. Because you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. And God says he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So God loves you, but he has to punish sin. He loves you so much that he doesn't want to punish you. But he absolutely is holy and he has to punish sin. If he didn't punish sin, he would cease to be God. So he must punish sin. He doesn't want to punish you. So he sent a substitute, his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and God took your sin and put it in Jesus at the cross and then punished your sin in Jesus at the cross. So your sin was punished in Christ. The Bible says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And God punished your sin in Jesus at that point. Shedding his blood. So God's heart is satisfied. God says, hey, the sin has been punished. I'm ready to forgive people. I'm ready to save them. I want them to know my love. Sin's been punished. The barrier's been removed. 
So that's the first part of the sprinkling of the blood. Here's the second part. The Lord Jesus Christ died not only for God, but he died for me. He died shedding his blood so that the blood could be sprinkled on you and you could be forgiven. Now listen, the blood of Jesus has been shed, but it doesn't have any effect unless you personally receive it. You need the sprinkling of the blood on your life. The sprinkling of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He died for me. I can have strength in suffering because of the blood of Christ. There's a ritual that a lot of homeowners go through every spring. And uh, it's called scalping the grass. And uh, after months of grass piling up and dying, inactivity, apparent deadness in the grass, thick, tangled thatches of dead and decaying grass lay out there, has to be violently removed. So some people take a rake and they go out and they just yank that dead grass out. It's all important because that dead stuff has to be removed so that the new growth can come. God uses heartache and trials and suffering and difficulties to strip away the worthless, self-defeating habits in our lives. This allows the glorious growth of the new nature. Growth in faith. Growth in grace. Growth in character. Growth in my understanding of who God is and His faithfulness. And so sometimes God allows us to go through really difficult, painful things so He can strip away all the dead stuff and show us what's really important. He wants to remind us that we're chosen. He wants to remind us that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He'll comfort us and give us strength. He wants to remind us that we're cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, friend. Whatever you're facing today, if you can say with confidence, I've been chosen by God, I belong to Him. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Hey, you can face a lot of stuff with that. That was Peter's point to all these suffering believers. And it's God's point to all of us today. So I want to ask you about your next step in faith. God reminds us in his word about our relationship with him. And some of you have never entered a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know about him. You've heard about him. You've been in church. You might have even joined the church. You might have even been baptized. But you've never committed your life to him. 
and you need to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today. That's your next step. Today, God spoke to you and said to you, I've chosen you. I want you to be my child. I want to save you. I want to make you alive. I want to cleanse you with the blood. I want you to know you've been forgiven. Is there anybody here today that needs to make a commitment to Jesus Christ and you know it and God's speaking to your heart? Would you stand up right now? Because if you can't stand up in here, then you'll never stand up out there. So is there anybody here that needs to make a first-time commitment to the Lord Jesus? Well, Bill, God bless you, brother. You know, salvation visited your house today. Amen? Hey, would you all mind if I just go pray for Bill real quick? All right, here we go. I'm going to pray for Bill. Father, I just want to thank you for Bill. Thank you for his faith. Thank you for his courage. Thank you for his willingness to stand up and say, I need to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you come to live within him, that he's your child forever, that nothing will ever change that. Thank you that he's been cleansed by the blood, secured by the Spirit of God, chosen, Father, by you for eternity. Thank you that he belongs to you, Father. I ask you to bless him and encourage him in his walk with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, how many of you would be willing to encourage Bill in his faith and in his walk with you, with the Lord? Huh? How many of you would be willing to do that? Amen. God bless you. All right, is there somebody else here today that needs to say, hey, I've never really committed my life to Jesus Christ. I need to do that today. Is there somebody else that needs to do that here today? I'm going to continue with this invitation, but just realize you can stand up for Jesus anytime, okay? Here's the second thing I'd ask you to do. Some of you know that you're saved and you've already committed your life to Christ, but you need to take a stand today and say, hey, I'm recommitting my life to the Lord Jesus. I want him to know that I've heard his voice and I'm recommitting my life to him. And here's my dear brother, Wiley. This is Wiley Carnley. He says, that's me. I need to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. Is that you, Wiley? All right. Would you all mind if I just pray for Wiley? Okay, let's pray for him. Dear Father, thank you for Wiley. Thank you that he loves you, that he wants to commit his life to you. And dear Father, I pray that you cleanse him afresh. Help him to know your love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And dear Father, I pray you'd set a fire in him. And I pray that he would live for you the rest of his days. May he be dedicated to you for every breath he takes. Dear Father, I ask you to strengthen him in the inward man. Help him to know and be assured in all of your love and plans for him. Bless him and encourage him this day, I pray. In Jesus' great name, amen. How many of you would be willing to pray for Wiley and say, I'm going to encourage him, amen. That's what we want to do. Okay, here's the third commitment. I need to go public with my faith and be baptized. We're going to have a baptism service in a few weeks, sometime before the end of July. And uh, maybe you need to make that commitment public. You know, you receive Christ as your Savior. And it's time for you to step up and be publicly baptized. Is there anybody here that needs to make that commitment today? That's your step to follow the Lord. Amen. Thank you. 
All right, this is Corbin. He's a young man that's trying to follow the Lord Jesus. Amen? We're grateful for that, and Corbin wants to be publicly baptized to show his dedication to the Lord Jesus. All right? Would you all mind if I pray for him? All right, let's do that. Father, thank you for Corbin. Thank you for his desire to follow you. Thank you for his heart to love you and to obey you. And I pray your blessings upon Corbin, Lord. Set him apart and raise him up. Use him as a young man who will serve you with all of his life. And dear Father, as we baptize him, I pray, dear Lord, that that step of obedience in his life will lead to greater steps of obedience. That he will be a disciple of yours, a follower of Jesus Christ. That you will use him for your kingdom's sake. That you'll bless him and encourage him in his walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you would be willing to pray for Corbin and encourage him in his faith? Amen. All right, here's the next commitment. I need to claim the truth of God's grace and hope and suffering. Is there anybody here that needs to claim that truth today? All right. <laughs> That's me. I need to claim it. God's grace. You know what grace is? Undeserved favor from God. I don't deserve it, but I claim it anyway. Amen? I need God's grace and hope in the things that I face on a daily basis. You know, every one of us is facing something. Some of you have loved ones that are really going through tough, tough days. Some of you have friends that are really having struggles today. Some of you are in family that's just being torn apart. And the heartache and suffering is very real for you. Some of you are in a battle. You're in a battle with the devil. And he's just beating you up on a regular basis. And you need to know that God loves you. That he cares about you. And that he's ready to help you if you'll commit your life to him. You know, I need his grace and hope in the things that I face. You don't know what that person sitting next to you is going through. Only God knows the real struggles that are going on. So you claim that grace and that hope that comes from Him and let God minister to you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for these decisions that have been made today. Seal them in the hearts of these people. Lord, seal them there. Don't let the devil steal their joy. Don't let him steal one seed of truth from them. Seal it by your Holy Spirit. And may growth and good fruit come because of Jesus. Lord, would you give each one of us grace and hope in the things that we face every day. Those things that discourage us and defeat us, Lord. Would you just lift them off of us today? Would you lift us up and encourage our hearts? Help us to live for the Lord Jesus. We want him to be glorified. And it's in his great and powerful name that we pray. Amen.